Okay, we got Mike. Mike is here to share a God story with you, one that I know when I heard it, it blew me away. I was impacted not only by what God has done in this man's life, but his vulnerability and honesty and what he is willing to speak about that most people are far more comfortable keeping hidden in their own lives. But I love what Jesus has to say where he says, anyone who's in me comes into the light. He comes out of the darkness and into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what's been done has been done through God. It's in contrast to men who love darkness instead of the light and choose to stay in the darkness for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. It's a call that Jesus makes to each of us, isn't it? Come with me into the light or continue to hide in darkness. Mike is a man who is just a level of boldness and bravery of coming into the light. Would you welcome him to the stage with me this morning? Mike, where are you at? Come on up. All right, you're going to need that. Yes, sir. And you're mic'd up, so we're ready to go. Mike, you've been coming here to Fellowship of Faith for about six months now, I want to say. Is that correct? Yeah, January. Yeah, January. And, and I think it was actually, uh, if I remember correctly, it was a similar story when my, my, my daughter, I think, was actually on stage that I know was one of the things that kind of got its claws into you a little bit and, and led from one visit here to two yes. and, and onward. Yep. Um, a lot of people see you playing the keys up here, um, but let, I don't want to take for granted that people know you here today, even though you've been so active in our student ministry here, in our band here. Introduce yourself, if you would, and more particular to where we're going today. Okay. Your religious experiences up through the age of 17, before the event, if you will, that we'll talk about momentarily. Why don't you just share with the people today? Sure. So I'm Mike McKay. Um, I'm 33. I have an eight-year-old beautiful little girl who is out there somewhere, hanging out, probably running around with the kids. Um, so I first came here in January. Um, I was brought here by a friend. Um, and so after all the you know, pandemic stuff and everything, he had asked, hey, do you want to go to a live church service? And I was like, yes, of course, anything you know, around people again. Um, so I came, and that's what Dave was saying. His, um, his daughter, Reagan, was on stage, and there was a lot that they were talking about, their interaction and stuff that made me, um, it, just, it just spoke to my heart as far as, you know, the, the relationship, the connection, that kind of stuff that, that he had with her. Um, and then having a daughter, you know, it's like, man, this is, a, this is a cool place to be, so. All right, now, you were brought up in a Christian home, as I understand it, and I, and I use that word very broadly and maybe yeah. even in air quotes and everything else. But kind of tell us about that a little bit. Your, 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 your experience with God in the first 16 give or take years of life. Right, so I was, it was, it was loosely Catholic, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, Catholic by birth, you know, we are Catholic. Um, we go to church on, you know, on, on Easter and Christmas. Um, and then everything else was just kind of, you know, gray in between. There wasn't really any, any definitive answers on what that meant. Um, so, but one of the things that's funny, this is coming up now, um, I, so I, I, I had this, you know, this rough belief that there was a God when I was, when I was a kid. 
Um, but when I, I had gone to a, it was a Catholic service one time, and I had accidentally taken communion as a kid. And so my mom, I had gotten home, and my mom said, you, you, took the, you took the communion? And I said, yeah, is that okay? And this, this frightened look on her face, and I said, Mom, am I going to hell? And I just, I, I, for some, something in me, it was like, you know, scream, because her, her face was, she was so terrified. And she goes, no, I'm, I'm sure it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. Just, you know, just, just, just pray, and, and, and we'll pray through it, and everything will be okay. And so, and I was, I was like, I was scared as a kid. I was like, man, am I, am I going to hell because I took the communion? And so many things after that, you know, as I started getting older, and, and there were things that just didn't, you know, line up about what we talked about and lifestyle and this and that. So it just kind of led me into, this is all baloney, there's no God, any of this stuff, so. The worst kind of fear is when mom is afraid, isn't it? <laughs> yes. You know? Right. So it led you down this path. You find yourself in high school. This is all fairy tale. This is all make-believe. This is, you, you, you know, mm -hmm. however you want to put a baloney, as you kind of put it. And, and, and this is all kind of just, you know, whatever. Whatever. You're, you're, you're out of it. Even if you're going through the motions on Christmas and Easter, Right. As far as a personal relationship, any kind of belief, any kind of faith formation or, or, or life trajectory or worldview, it isn't there. Mm. How did that start to change? Um, so it actually started to change. Um, I, had some, I had some friends who played music, and, uh, and one of them was involved with a, like a, a local youth group. And so he had said, hey, you know, if, if, you, if you guys want, we can go and play music for this youth group. And we were, you know, we were like 15, 16 years old at the time. And so he's like, hey, you know, this will be an opportunity. We can go out and, you know, play live music in front of people. And so everybody's like, all right, you know, whatever. And I was kind of in the, in the mindset of as long as we don't have to, like, you know, be involved with any, any of that God stuff, we can just kind of go play music and, and I'm down. So, it's a gig. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so we did that for, for a while, over a year um, and, you know, most of the time I would go and I would, you know, hear the message and, you know, in my head, I'd be making fun of it, you know, and, and thinking of all this stuff. But eventually, I, obviously, the seeds kind of, you know, they, they planted. Um, and so, yeah, so then it was, it was when I was about 17 years old. Um, there was just a, hello? Oh, sounded like a cutoff, sorry. There was a, uh, there was like a, a peak. Um, of a lot of things that kind of culminated. Um, and I had, I had always um, struggled with a lot of, you know, depression and um, different things, and whether it was, you know, personality, genetics, and um, I also had a rough relationship with my dad, very rough. Um, so there were a lot of things when I was at that age that, that just kind of came together. Um, and, and so the, the kind of the final straw was um, my first girlfriend that I had when I was 17, you know, because when you're, a, you know, a guy and you're depressed and you put everything in, you know, to yeah. your first love and everything, you know, crashes. Um, so I was, I was one night, I was driving down the road and it was dark and rainy and I was, and that was the moment I decided I was going to, I was going to take my life um, and I was going to put the foot to the pedal and, and take the car off the road. And so as I'm, I'm going down and I'm, you know, I'm crying and all these thoughts are spinning through my head, and I started calling out and begging God. I said, if you're there, you have to tell me right now. You have to show me that you're real. You have to tell me right now, because this is it. Um, and inside, I was, I was hoping so bad. I was, I was looking out, and I'm driving I'm, you know, through my tears and stuff. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be like lightning in the sky, you know, or some fireworks, or some you know, amazing thing is going to happen. 
And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pleading so hard that if you're real, please show me. And I was waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing. Um, and so after a, you know, a few minutes of that, I just put my head down into the steering wheel and I closed my eyes and I was, was just as I was about to put my foot on the gas, I felt it was as if lightning hit me in the back of my spine, um, right below, right below my head. And it hit so hard that it, it threw me into the back, into the seat and stiffened me out. Um, and I felt it, I felt electricity as if I got shocked, as coursing through my body. And I don't, I don't know how much time had passed, maybe it was a minute or so, but I felt all of the pain, the emotional pain that I was feeling in that moment, I felt it physically leave through my fingertips and through my toes. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, obviously understand everything at that moment, what had happened, but I just knew that, you know, that, that God had, you know, filled me and taken all this um, pain away and replaced it with this unbelievable joy. I had felt this warmth and this wholeness inside that I had never felt before. Yeah. How do you respond to a moment like that? I mean, that, that is life-defining, literally, right. in your case where, yeah. as you said, your moments from careening your car, you know, into a bridge or a tree or whatever it might have been. I mean, were you, with as limited understanding you had, I mean, were you convinced that it was God in the moment? Was that something that came later? How did that process for you? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I knew it. It was there, was, there was no question ever since that, you know, that moment that that was, I mean, you know, this is God, that God is real, God was here. It was, it was such a, it was such a physical experience um, you know, and, and I've never felt anything like that, of that intensity ever since, but it was, yeah, there was, there was no question in my mind. Yeah, it, it's just mind-blowing how God literally rescued you from suicide into something else. What did this do to the course of your life from that moment on? Talk about the trajectory that it set. So I, um, you know, obviously that happens and then, you know, all this stuff is real. You know, all this stuff that all these crazy religious people have been talking about is real. Um, and so, you know, life is, you know, completely different the way that, you know, you view it and everything. Um, but one of, the, one of the issues was that I thought in that moment, because I, I had that, you know, people talk about the honeymoon phase with God. I've, I've heard it put before that when you get saved and initially there's, there's this excitement, there's all this, you know, this, this, you know, beauty and joy and all these things. You see everything differently that comes with it. And then after a little while, you know, life starts to take over again. Um, and I, had, I, I thought in that moment that after feeling, you know, all that pain and all that stuff leave, that I was healed, that I was completely healed and, you know, you know depression, all these issues were completely gone. Um, and they weren't. And, and they came back, they came back stronger. They came back, you know, harder. Um, and so there was a lot of a lot of confusion in my mind, you know, because I, I know I know 100% that God is real. You know, I know what God did in that moment. I, I know what happened, you know, and, and you know other experiences and different things, and obviously you know the way that God works in other moments. Um, but why, you know, why why was I healed and then I'm not? 
And so that was a and that was a struggle I went back and forth with for a long time. And it, it can it can be the most frustrating part of the Christian experience in that God God gives us this redemption, He gives us this healing, He breaks the chains. We are we are born again, and yet those echoes from our old life, right? You, you know, not only continue to haunt, but sometimes even dominate, right? And in that time, how did you continue to process then? the reality of what God did in your life over against the depression, the anxiety that, 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 that are so much a, kind of a, a part and parcel to your, to your makeup and who you are, how, how have you walked with God through that and in that? Because there's a lot of people here, I'm convinced, that are in the same place and struggling with similar things. Right. <laughs> um, God was faithful to me um, you know, just as he is with everybody, um, to walk with me through all that stuff. The process to, you know, to, to go through that, it was, it was um, I guess one of the things I've, I've become very, you know, passionate and driven about is, is due to, you know, having experienced what I went through for so long. And had I not, you know, I wouldn't be able to understand, you know, and, and have that compassion, I guess, you know, for other people. Um, because it's not something that you can just turn off. You know, and, you know, for most people and, you know, maybe, maybe a lot of kids, you know, and teens and stuff go through a phase and, you know, there's different personalities and stuff, but some of the, you know, some people who are really, really, really struggling with this stuff, um, it's so real and it's so dark. Um, and so it took, it took about seven, it was about seven years. Um, it wasn't until I was about 24, 25 and it was, you know, I, I can't even detail because, you know, the way that God would bring me, you know, from one thing to another and, you know, a lot of times without mm -hmm. me even knowing it, mm -hmm. um, you know, just these, these processes of working through, you know, mindsets and thoughts and, you know, emotions and all these hurts and pains and, you know, family issues and, and different things um, that, that finally brought me to a place where I was able to... I was able to really see the hope in God um, and the hope that, that he had, you know, in my life, you know, for me, um, you know, because a big, a big issue with, you know, with, with going for years and, you know, struggling with, I mean, you know, constantly contemplating, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here. How do I take my life? I'm afraid to do this. If I do it, it's probably not going to work. Then I'm going to be messed up. If I do it and it doesn't work, then I'm just going to be more of a failure. You know, so constantly struggling with all this stuff. Um, and there, there was a place of, okay, I, I can finally see the the hope, the purpose that God has in doing this. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain that crossover moment, but it, but it happens somewhere, you know. It, it is interesting to me, though, that it's a process. And I right. find that for many people where you get that moment of deliverance, yeah. but hope almost has to retransform thought patterns, feeling patterns, right. inclinations, and build a foothold that often takes time. Yes, I don't, I don't know if it, um, I'm sure some people have seen, um, if anybody remembers uh, Christmas Vacation with, with Clark Griswold, and he goes into, the, he's, he's decorating the house, and he pulls out that, you know, that, that box of Christmas lights, and it's like, you know, a million different strands of the ball, like this yeah. big with them all tied together, and he goes, here, Russ, that one's for you, you know, <laughs> and, and that's what, and that's what I, 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 
I felt like when I got that picture is like that's what it's like in our mind with all these thoughts and all this this crap and this garbage and everything that we're dealing with and the hurt and the pain and everything is so you know stuffed together with layer upon layer. Um, and, and maybe that's why, you know, you know so many, you know, there, there's programs and there's different things and there's medications and all this stuff, but everybody is so unique and so individual that God knows how to get to, you know, each person. God knew how to get to me and, and you know, my, my walk through a lot of that stuff was so, you know, was so different um, and, and weird if I were to, you know, go into details. But, you know, God knew what he was doing, yeah. even when I didn't. Now, now that's one side of it. You know, there's this, this aspect that God is looking to restore the fallen humanity within us in terms of the corruption of our bodies, the corruption of our minds, the corruption of the essence of who we are. You struggle with anxiety, you struggle with depression, mm-hmm. and God is working in that and bringing that along. But there's the other side of what God is conforming us on too, and that's sin. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a human, you are a sinner and have your own unique temptations and skill sets, shall we say, in the sin arena, right. and, and uh, in, in patterns and, and, and vices and things like that, and mm-hmm. so much of the Christian walk becomes those being confronted as well. Right. Now, I know in your case, that has been an acute process and a long-term chronic one as well mm-hmm. in various ways of God confronting sin strongholds in your life. Yes. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, we're... we're we like to medicate things, you know, and some people more than others, you know, and, and in different ways. Um, I, you know, have dealing with issues with depression and, you know, anxiety and hurt and pain and all that stuff. I mean, you're constantly looking for ways to, you know, to medicate and to feel better. Um, so, you know, a, a lifelong, you know, again, struggle with going back between, you know, overeating or, you know, whatever it was, you know, whether it was, you know, smoking or drugs or alcohol or, you know, different things. Um, and so some are, some are obviously, you know, they're, they're, they're worse or, you know, whatever than others. And some are more acceptable socially than others too. Um, but so one of the ones that, that was a very long one for me, um, and probably the longest one was pornography. When did it start? It was about 13. Okay, so you're seventh, yeah. eighth grade, roughly, yep. which is pretty common, mm-hmm. as I understand it, if not younger in this day and age, right. um, that, you know, a first exposure. But, but talk to us a little bit about um, how it took over your life. Yeah, it's, a, it's an insidious one. Um, it's what, I, I mean, obviously, even in the world, like, people aren't, you know, openly promoting pornography, but it's so, you know, it's so prevalent and it's Mm -hmm. so commonplace and whatever. Um, You know, and I had the privilege of, you know, being around that time and that age, that was when the internet really started getting big and, you know, crossing over. So, um, you know, it just, it it started as a, you know, as as it would anything else that, you know, you're you're a kid in school and that kind of stuff. But having all the issues that I had and having the, you know, the, the tendency for super addictive behaviors, um, it was one of the things I got drawn into. So I could, you know, I could escape, I could feel good, I could do all this stuff. And, and, it, and it always kind of, you know, it had ups and downs. There were times when it was, you know, worse or, you know, where I'd retreat more into it, you know, depending on, you know, what else was going on. Um, but yeah, it, it, it stuck around for a long time. And I know something you shared with me too is, I mean, it, it's even harder when, if I have this correctly, that there was even trusted people in your life going, 
what, what's the big deal? Right. I mean, you're not hurting anyone. What's the big deal? Enjoy it. And, and you're trying to battle against it and yet being undermined by these forces. Let me ask you, what is the big deal? Because I think there's a lot of people that go, what is the big deal? Right. I mean, so, so to preface it, I guess that's, that's where I was too, because I was, I was in this place, um, you know, I had, I, I married my daughter's mom um, when I was 25. We were divorced by 26. Um, and so, you know, after that, you know, and having, you know, all these other tumultuous relationships and different things, it was, it was kind of at the point where it's like, what am I, what am I doing anymore? This is, this is stupid. So I knew that I, I, I needed to continue, you know, I needed to work on myself and to grow and all that stuff. But, you know, as a guy and you, you know, you want a relationship, you want to do that. And so for me, it was like, well, instead of doing all that, cause I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to, you know, find somebody where a working relationship while I need to fix all this stuff it's just better to go to pornography because I'm not hurting anybody, right? And so I can just kind of, you know, contain it in, you know, my own private area and then go off in the world, do what I need to do. Um, what, I, what I didn't understand for so long is that how much it destroys you emotionally, you know, and people talk about, you know, the shame of pornography. And I think in, in, in the, you know, the Christian, you know, world, we assume that that's because it's sin. So it's wrong, you know, and it's wrong to do pornography or, you know, look at it or whatever. Um, but there's so much that happens in the mind and the, in the brain, um, the way it turns, you know, the, your view of women, um, you know, to objectify or men, you know, depending on what gender, I guess, is using it. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of things that I didn't understand that it was it was making worse, you know, as, as far as that kind of stuff. And, and I know something that I've seen too, and I'm curious how it uh, relates in your own life is that you think you can contain it, but it almost starts to contain you. Oh, absolutely. Where, where you shared with me that right. there were many times you tried to to break it, to step away from it, you'd feel guilty over it, sure. whatever it might be. Just describe a little bit of that 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 agony, if you yeah. will. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a drug. It's, it's, you know, it's 100% a drug. Um, and it's, it's definitely one of the most powerful ones out of, you know, any of the things that I've done. Um, because it, you know, because it involves, you know, involves sex and involves that emotion, involves that, you know, that, that deep, you know, connection that you want. Um, so yeah, it, it, um, it's very consuming. You know, and I, and, I, and I know that I'm assuming that there's, you know, people who can, you know, whatever. They look at it once in a while, they do the thing, and then they can go away. Um, but the, you know, the, the images, the struggle with that stuff, that, you know, I found it to be very, um, very, very hard to get away from. Yeah, yeah. And whatever you get away from externally... Stays. Stays here. Right. For a long, long time. Right. Right, right. You know, I, I've heard studies done on this, and I don't know the, the methodology behind it, but that like one in three men regularly use or interface pornography. Mm-hmm. Women isn't as slightly less as you would think, but often in different uh, mediums. Um, you've described it to me as a sin of secrecy, silence, and shame. Mm. What do you mean by that? So that was, that was actually from one of the, um, the programs. Um, it was one of the ones that, that you suggested to me. Um, so they, they described, you know, the, the way that, you know, any, any sin or anything can grow um, and develop is within secrecy, silence, and shame. And so the way to, you know, to eliminate that and to, to get rid of it is to break those three things. Um, 
And I've found that 100% to be true um, because being able to talk about it, being open with it, um, having the accountability, you know, and bringing things out of the light has, has made all the difference. But it's gut-wrenching, and especially with something that's so, so, so personal and so vulnerable like this. I mean, there is such an embarrassment people have around this sin. Right. And, and, and you could even arguably, maybe rightly so, maybe we should be embarrassed about more of our sins that, that we hold so lightly. But, but there isn't a person alive uh, who becomes more attractive to someone of the opposite sex because, oh, he looks at pornography. I've never seen a marriage that's been benefited by it. In fact, husbands hide it from their wives. Wives hide it from their husbands. Right. It becomes something that kind of wedges in between. You came to a place, well, I mean, my gosh, you're on stage you're talking to a live audience. This is on recording. You're talking to a live stream community that's huge. Uh, okay, there, there's no secrecy about this one anymore. Right. What brought you here? I mean, leading, leading up to it, you know, God was revealing to me over time, you know, the damage and, and stuff that it was doing. Um, and so just like, you know, like most things, when you're, you know, you're addicted to something, you want to break it. Um, you try over and over and over, you know, um, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. What was the longest you've ever went? Like, go back a year ago. What was the longest you ever went since you were age 13 or, or arguably adulthood? Oh, geez. If I, I mean, if for a long stretch, if I went like a week or two, that would have been, yeah. Yeah, daily, habitual, regular, oh, habitual sure. use. And even when you try right. to cut it out, it's like within a week, right. you're back. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the, the, a lot of the, you know, the question and stuff in, in my mind was, you know, the struggle of if I do this stuff, like, you know, I know that God still loves me. I know all this. You know, God's telling me everything. I still, I feel like total crap when I do it. But the biggest thing that God was revealing to me in the, you know, that, that took a while was that if you keep doing this, this is the life you're going to live and you're going to be miserable. And these are all the effects of, you know, what it's really doing to you and what it's doing to your relationships. And so when that stuff started opening up, then it was like, if I, if I don't break this, you know, God's still going to love me and, you know, whatever. But, but the good life that God has is not going to, you know, is not going to cut. And so that, I guess that's the thing that, you know, when I, when I think of other people, you know, or anybody else going through this stuff, it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's no condemnation in doing it, but there's a lot more that you can get on the other side from stopping. Yeah, God forgives us whatever sin we're immersed in, but he wants more than just to forgive us. He wants to renew us. He wants to make us fully human and full image bearers of God. You have been clean now, if I can use an addiction metaphor, for longer than you've ever been in your life, Mm -hmm. correct? What, 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 uh, five months dry or something like that? Six months or whatever it is? February, yeah. Yeah, and definitely that's... With the help of God, what are some of the things that you found necessary to start that new path? Um, since coming here, people, accountability. Okay, so getting out of the, the, the silent and secret yep. category. Yeah, absolutely. Being, being open about it, you know, talking about it. And I know that, you know, right off the cut, that sounds weird, like, you know, not just going around talking about, you know, pornography with everybody, you know, but having people that you can discuss that with, 
um, and be accountable with. I have, you know, the programs on my computer, my phone, all that kind of stuff that, you know, that monitor. Um, and that sounds, I, I, that used to sound excessive to me, that sounds crazy. Um, but now I'm so grateful, you know, for having those. Um, and internal, and, and this is one of the things that was a, that was a process over years, I think that, you know, that, that was the backstory leading up to this, was a lot of internal healing with, you know, with God yeah. and walking through that. Um, you know, because so much of this stuff that, it, one of the things, I, I read it this way, that, you know, any, any addiction, you know, pornography, whatever it is, whatever, drugs, alcohol, anything, um, that all that stuff is not, that in itself isn't the problem. You know, the problem is what's, you know, lying underneath that's being, you know, covered up and medicated from that stuff. Um, so walking with God and trusting him through the process of, you know, the healing, whatever's going on, that's the big one. So something that struck me in your story, when you were 17, you learned to start hoping again. At that time, it was against the depression and the anxiety and the external factors that were making you feel like the situation was hopeless. Right. You said later in your mid-20s, learning what it meant to hope in God, mm -hmm. right? And, and I've seen this in you in the past several months, this renewed hope now in this sin stronghold of your life that you've been carrying for 20, 25 years that, that's felt, will it always be with me? Right. Talk about that hope and what you're hoping for. Yeah, um, well, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's like any, any promise with God or anything that takes time and you're going, man, is, you know, is, is this going to, is this ever going to, you know, work out and come through? Um, and I think we had even talked about this and I didn't realize it, especially having like that, that initial experience with God, you know, where, where so much happened in that moment, mm -hmm. you know, it was knowing that that could happen. And there were so many questions afterward, like, why, why does this feel like it's, it's taken so long to work through all this stuff? Um, you know, but, but understanding the, you know, the process of going through a lot of this stuff, the growth, the understanding, you know, that, that comes from it, the ability to connect with other people, um, you know, so there's, there's so much value, I guess, in, in all of that struggle. Yeah. What's the next step in the relationship with God? <laughs> God, God shows me a lot of pictures all the time, and I'm like, how the heck am I going to do that? I have, no, <laughs> I have no idea. So we'll see. You've said that before, and <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he has a way, right? Yes, yeah. Mike, your, your transparency up here today, your, your vulnerability, your, your poise and your faith, what God's doing in your life, thank you for giving us an insight into that. Thanks for blessing us with it today. Brother, just it's been a pleasure walking alongside of you and, and getting to know you and, and having you be a part of the church and, and a friend and, and so much more. So let's, let's thank Mike for his time today. Good stuff, man. I, I want to give a follow-up encouragement to many of you. And it goes back to that line that, that Mike first shared with me, the silence, the secrecy, and the shame. So many Christians live behind a false image because they desperately try to hide the sources and the reasons of their shame. So many churches can appear as places 
where everyone has it all together because very few are willing to be open and honest about real struggles with real sins. One of the things that struck me so intensely about walking with Mike these last several months is the redemptive power of forgiveness and the redemptive power of God's grace. Not after we get rid of our sins, but when we are plunged neck deep in the middle of them and God comes in that mud with us there, he doesn't expect us to climb out first. I know there are some of you here who are feeling neck deep in drowning and without hope in whatever the situation might be. My hope is that Mike's story has added to the biblical witness in some way of the redemptive power of God in that place. There are some of you here who are struggling with crippling anxiety and depression, and you're embarrassed about it, you're ashamed about it, you feel victimized by it, you, you don't let anyone in, you think it makes you weak, and you end up alone. You don't have to be ashamed of that with God. You can bring that into the light. And bringing that into the light means more than admitting it to yourself and to God, though it starts there. It means walking with a body of believers and bringing them in as well. There are some of you here who are struggling with pornography. If the statistics are right, it's one in three men in this room right now. And not that much less for women. That's a lot of you. Oh, to stay in silence, in secrecy because of shame can seem so alluring, but there is no way through in that place. For me, it's been watching Mike invite other people to hold him accountable, to talk to him about it. Not people to judge him, not people to condemn him, but people who can come alongside of him and that he can be open around I've seen strength and courage in a man that goes beyond what I often see. If you are in that place, take what's in the darkness and bring it into the light. There is a body of believers that are not looking to condemn you, but are looking to help you discover the redemptive power of God through it. And there are others of you here who are neck deep in another sin, I would go so far as to say that each and every one of us who are listening today have some sin in our life that we are tucking into dark corners that we will not bring into the light because we're afraid of the ramifications of bringing it out. We're afraid of what it will mean if it gets exposed. We're afraid of confronting it and what it will mean for who we are to not have it anymore. God is inviting you to trust him to something so much better and more beautiful, something so much more powerful and strong, something so good that we no longer have to live in darkness but can live in what the Bible calls the light of life. We want to invite you into that. Whether you're listening for the first time, maybe you've never stepped foot on this campus or have been worshiping here since 1999. 
We want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into that. Because God will meet you in that place. And honestly, when we say disciples of Jesus, that's what the discipleship journey is really all about. So there's a song that the band is going to do, and I invite you to come on up, that I think embodies in many ways the freedom, the liberation, the, the hope that's found in the strongholds of sin and darkness and depression and anxiety and other things that grip us. It's a song that the band's going to lead us through today, and I hope that this song becomes your song, that it becomes a war cry, a confrontation, and a conviction to find freedom from bondage and darkness to light. So it's your eyes. Let's sing this one together, all right?